we'll be reading verses 16 through 22. Word of our Lord says, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and Yahweh has brought me out home again, empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since Yahweh has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Almighty God, You have given Your only Son, Jesus, to be for us a sacrifice for sin. And to be for us an example of a godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of His redeeming work. Give us grace to follow daily in the blessed steps of His most holy life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Your Son, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, One God, now and forever. Amen. The world is burning. In case you haven't noticed, there's an awful lot of mess out there. If you've clicked on the news, perhaps you have resolved to stop. You don't want to hear it anymore. We have bad news from the Middle East. We have bad news from Asia, Europe. We have bad news from Hollywood. We have bad news from little towns in Missouri. The world is burning, it's a mess.
Most of our days are littered with bad news. We're disappointed right and left. People burn us. Situations that we thought were going to be great turn out to be terrible. On the way into a a work we a job perhaps that we regret having, we're listening to bad news on the radio. And then on the way home again, as if it'll help us unwind, we listen to a little bit more of it and hear about how much worse it got during the day. While we watch bad news, we see more bad news running along in a little tracker along the bottom of the screen. We have split screens of multiple bad things going on. Folks, you know the world is burning. There's an awful lot of mess out there. And often the question we ask is, okay, well, where's God? Where is He in all this mess? Where can we find Him? Why is He allowing this? Has He caused it? Why doesn't He do something? Why does He just sit by and watch it happen? We often find ourselves sounding like the psalmist, which is why we love the psalm so much. We hear our voices in theirs. Lord, where are You? Are You going to just sit by and watch this stuff happen? Ruth is a story of a, really a minority report. The scriptures tell us in verse 1 of the book of Ruth, it came to pass that in the days when the judges judged Israel that there was a a famine in the land. Ruth takes place during that period of Judges. And you remember that the period of Judges was a period of cycles of disobedience. Israel failing on their obligation to this holy God with whom they've covenanted themselves. Being oppressed by their enemies, crying out, Yahweh, redeem us. And Yahweh was always faithful to provide a Redeemer. But the book of Judges is characterized by that refrain that There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Life during the period of the judges was just a mess. But there's Ruth. A little glimmer of hope in the midst of the darkness. A little testimony of how God was faithful and how there were some who were faithful to him. Ruth stands in the scriptures in the Old Testament in this period of the book of Judges as a minority report of how some people can get it right. There was a famine that broke out. And so, 
this family whose father was Elimelech, they leave Bethlehem. And the irony is that the name Bethlehem means house of bread. There is no bread in the house of bread. There's famine. There's want. There's need. And so Elimelech leads his family, his wife Naomi and his two sons. He leads them to the land of Moab. They travel to Moab, which is the land just to the east of the Dead Sea. Now picture some of these things that are going on. The house of bread is without bread. And so they go around a place we call the Dead Sea. And they go to this land called Moab. Looking for a better life. Looking to be able to provide for his family. To provide for his wife and his two sons. Those boys find wives among the Moabites. One of those wives is named Ruth. Add to this tough situation even more difficulties. Elimelech and his two sons die. So here's Naomi. She has left her home. She is living in a foreign land. She has two foreign daughters-in-law. Her husband dies and her two boys die. Those aren't good circumstances. That's tough. That's a rough life. That's unfair. Naomi decides, you know what? I'm living away from family. I've got no husband. My boys are now gone. They can't take care of me either. I'm heading home. So she resolves to head back to Bethlehem. Perhaps there'll be family there who will help out and take care of her. And so she tells her daughters-in-law, she says, look, you girls, it's just a bad situation. Just let's, let's, let's just cut our losses. Y'all return back to your families. I'll return back to my family and we'll try to make the best of a bad situation. But they insist, no, 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 no. We're going with you. And then she reasons with them, what hope do you have in going back to Bethlehem with me? My husband is dead. My sons are dead. I don't have any more sons for you to marry. Even if I were to find a husband tonight, she says, if I were to find a husband tonight, and if the Lord were to grant to me to have another son, what are you going to wait for him to grow up for you to marry? Come on, girls. Do the reasonable thing and head back home. 
one daughter-in-law says, okay, that makes sense. And she says her goodbyes to Naomi and heads on home. Verse 15 of chapter 1 tells us that Ruth clung to Naomi. She would not leave. So Naomi reasons with her, come on, you've seen what your sister-in-law has done. Do as she has. Do the reasonable thing. Do the sensible thing. Go make a, a better life for yourself. And that's where we pick up in our text. Ruth declares, stop it. Stop reasoning with me. I'm not going anywhere but where you go. I'm not living anywhere but where you live. Stop talking to me about my people. My people are your people. Stop talking to me about going back to Moab, to my gods. My God will be Yahweh, your God. We're in this thing together. If you die, I'm dying there. When they bury you, they'll be saving a place for me because I'll be buried there too. So when they head back to Bethlehem, the town is all astir. They're excited. Naomi's coming back. And when they call her Naomi, Naomi says, don't call me that. You can change my name. Because the name Naomi means pleasant. And she says, nothing about my life up to this point has been very pleasant. My life in Moab has been very unpleasant. And said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because Yahweh has dealt with me very bitterly. You can sense the, the frustration, even the cynicism in Naomi's voice. She's not happy. She's not happy with God either. Life has been unfair. Her world has been burned. You can make it through tough times when you've got good family, but when the family starts dying, then what? Her question, as would be ours, is where's Yahweh in all this mess? Why doesn't He do something? How am I supposed to see His hand when every hand I get dealt is a bad one? How are we to make sense of life when life seems so senseless? What are we supposed to say when the people we look up to are miserable and the people we forget about are equally as miserable. It seems like all of society is plagued with this mess. We look to the Middle East and we've always kind of joked in the West about how it's just a big mess out there. and You know, we mockingly talk about peace in the Middle East. And we look around us and we say, wow, we're technologically and in a lot of ways a lot better off, but we're just as much of a 
mess as a culture as they are. Where is he? Why doesn't he do something? Where are we to find him? In the story of Ruth, in this book, we find him in the character of both Ruth and Boaz. Not in the characters, like, you know, their characters in the story, but in their character. We haven't gotten to Boaz yet. You'll read about him further along in the book. But in Ruth, we see the type of character that clings and is faithful. The type of character that puts others and their interests above its own. We see the character of God. And that's why, for those of you that are part of David's small group, You'll remember this word. That's why you hear the term hesed used. It's a Hebrew term. And it's used here in the book of Ruth to describe Ruth and Boaz and their faithful love for their families and for one another. Hesed is, it's the, just very simply, is the passionate, devoted loyalty. Typically it involves a superior for an inferior. And it's seen especially when it's not deserved. But it is this sort of extravagant, faithful, self-giving. We translate it a number of ways in English. It has zero equivalent in any language. There are no other ancient Near Eastern languages that had a one-to-one correlation to this term hesed. We translate it love, faithful love, mercy. I believe it was the King James that created a word. Let's take some of this and cram it together and let's come up with loving kindness. It is God who has Hesed because it is God who does Hesed. Hesed specifically is about actions. It is about one's faithful devotion to another seen in activity. Love is not something you have and contain. It's something you do. It's something you become. It's something that pours out in your activities. Hesed is only in the context of relationship. And what God calls us to in faithfulness to Him is about faithfulness to others. He calls us not to live solitary, good, moral lives. He calls us to live in love toward others. All throughout the Old Testament, in these minority reports like the book of Ruth, and in the general news like the book of Judges and others. You find God obsessing over how Israel's people relate to one another. How they treat one another. How they love one another. Whether or not they have a hesed for one another. 
And Ruth's devotion to her mother-in-law is unwavering, it is undying, it is unparalleled. She is insistent. Absolutely insistent to be faithful. Even to her own detriment. She could have gone back to her family. She could have perhaps found a, another husband. That would have been difficult because she's been wedded into another family. But she insists on being faithful to Naomi. So the story moves along. In chapter 2, you find Ruth is doing what she can there in Bethlehem to help provide for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and help them kind of make a life for themselves. And so what do they do? They go out and they start, they start gleaning the fields. And you come across this term, sheaves. Ruth goes to a field of a relative and asks, can she glean the sheaves that have been left behind? The sheaves in, in, a, in, a, um, in a farming environment were those leftover crops, particularly here, barley since it was the time of the barley harvest. It was the leftover crops which kind of were left along the side. They had fallen. And God had commanded Israel that when they are harvesting their crops, they're not to be nitpicking and stopping every few steps to go and scoop back up what has fallen off. But they're to leave it for the poor. Leave it for those who don't own their own land who could come and could provide for their families based on the leftovers. And so Ruth, she says, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to provide for my family. It may not be an extravagant life, it may not be a wonderful life, but we'll do what we can to get by. So she goes to this field, and it's owned by a man named Boaz. Boaz happens to be related to Naomi. He's a relative. And he's a relative that... Yahweh has placed in their lives to be what the Old Testament calls a kinsman redeemer. A redeemer. Specifically here, a kinsman redeemer was the oldest living male kinsman. He was the one that was responsible for the family. And throughout the Old Testament laws, God had provided a way for those who were vulnerable in their culture to be provided for. The poor, the widows, the fatherless. It was the responsibility of the oldest living male in a family to make sure that he provided redemption for his family. If there was a need, it was ultimately his responsibility to meet it. If the husband of a wife died, it was the responsibility of the family not to leave her to fend for herself, but to help her make ends meet. If a family came on hard times and had to sell their land in order to pay the bills, it was the kinsman redeemer 
whose responsibility it was to step up to the plate and buy back the field so that they can provide a normal life for their family. Ruth is gleaning the sheaves of this potential kinsman redeemer's land, Boaz. And Boaz comes home and he says, wait a minute, who's, who's that lady out there? His people tell him, oh, that's, that's Ruth. She's the Moabitess who came home with your relative Naomi. He says, huh, lo and behold. Make sure that you take care of her. Make sure that you don't provide difficulty for her. And he talks to Ruth and he says, I'm glad you've chosen my field. Please, please stay here. Work here. Find what you need here. If you need water, I'll have my men provide it. Stick around for a while. It's nice seeing you here. Ruth heads home to Naomi with some extra sheaves that Boaz has provided for her and says, here, take this home and provide for yourselves. Naomi, Naomi is delighted. Oh, wow, where did you get all this? Ruth says, met a man named Boaz. I was gleaning his field. And she says, the Lord has provided for us. He's one of our kinsmen. He might be the source of our redemption. A lot of stuff happens in telling this tale. I want to encourage you to read these four chapters the book of Ruth. Read them this afternoon. You could get through them in 20 minutes. If you're a slower reader like me, you could get through them in half an hour. Turn off the news for a bit. Turn off the bad news and listen to some good news for a bit. What you find in Boaz is one who pledges himself in faithfulness to his family. You even find that there's a that there's a uh, another kinsman redeemer who's a little bit higher up in the in the line than Boaz and Boaz pursues him and says, "Look, do you want to do the right thing or do you want me to? I'm willing." There's a bit of eagerness in Boaz's voice. Yahweh uses Ruth to meet the need that Naomi has. And He uses Boaz to meet the need that Ruth has and Naomi has. God is all about meeting the needs of others through His people. And that ought to be a reality that we let settle in our lives. God always uses His people to meet the needs of His people. Because that begs the question of us, how does God want to use me 
to meet the needs of someone else He's created in His image and someone else for whom Christ has died. Where is Yahweh in all this mess? He's with, among, and in His people. The world needs more people like Ruth. People who say, where you go, I'm going. Where you live, I'm living. I'm not living in a, in a hut somewhere pulled back away from the world. I'm living right on the brink of hell itself so that I can redeem. Amen. You are my people. I'm fascinated by the prophet Daniel. Because Daniel lives in a faraway land called Babylon. He lives among pagans. He lives and serves a pagan king. And when he prays, he prays for his people. These are my people. God wants to do something. The world needs more people with that type of Hesed devotion. That type of clinging faithfulness. I forget the name of the man, but I remember in Dr. Kinlaw's daily devotional book, he tells the story of a great church leader. And when he went to... um, when looking for his grave, you found his grave in the part of the cemetery that was reserved only for those who were unbaptized and those who had committed suicide. He was buried with his people. The world needs more Christians who live lives of complete and unrestrained faithfulness. We need more Boazes. More more people who see in themselves the responsibility of caring for others. Who don't get lost in their own priorities and don't get lost in their own desires and wants. But who see in others not a, an opportunity to gain, but an opportunity to give and to serve. It is only Yahweh who can make a heart like that. It is only this God that we typically throw our hands up in despair and scream out, where is He? What's He doing here? It is only that type of God who is is able to help us to see in others where He is. The world is burning. 
there is disaster on every front page. There is despair in every neighborhood. And we ask the question, where in the world are you, God? Perhaps he's asking, where in the world are you, church? Where are the Ruths? Where are the Boazes? We haven't done this in a while, but don't forget on the back of your communication card and on the back of your bulletin, there's a place for you to write down what you intend to do, what you intend to pray, what you intend to do, and what you intend to become. I want to encourage you to think long and hard. Think long and hard about what it would look like for you to be a Ruth or what it would look like for you to be a Boaz. For whom are you willing to live? It's so easy to say, oh, I'm going to live for Jesus. That's, that's one of those Sunday school answers. For whom are you willing to live? For whom are you willing to say, not on my watch will that person not find hope? And for whom will you take responsibility? Say, it's not mine to bear, but I'll bear it. Are, our culture looks very unfavor, uh, very unfavoringly toward the weak. We like strength. We like the stories of those who are able to pick themselves up and dust themselves off. We like the stories of the successful entrepreneur. We like the stories of those who don't need anything. But the scriptures say, blessed are those who recognize their need because regardless of how much or how little we have, we are all in desperate need. No matter how wealthy, no matter how poor, we all could recognize within ourselves that we are desperately poor in spirit.
And God is looking for a church who will weep with those who weep. Who will serve those who need to be served. Who will take responsibility for a world that is in deep, deep need. And who will show our faithful devotion to God by being faithfully devoted to one another and to others. What would that look like in your life and mine? Let's pray.